The Lifestylist, episode 42, featuring Sage Dammers. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are so beautiful to me. You really are because you're listening to my show, The Lifestylist Podcast. Whether you're a first-time listener or you're back for a second or third or fourth helping, you really are beautiful and I thank you for joining me. I am, of course, Luke Story, your presenter today on this episode featuring our guest, Sage Dammers. Sage and I discuss many different topics, including but not limited to what it was like to grow up in a spiritually-minded family. He basically grew up on an ashram and was introduced to health and wellness and meditation and spirituality and gurus and all this stuff at an early age and how that shaped him and his life and eventually led him to start a really fantastic company called Addictive Wellness, which make these amazing chocolates that are infused with Chinese herbs. I just had about 50 of them before we recorded and a couple more after, which is maybe why I'm a little hyped and decided to break out into a impromptu, possibly out of key intro. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I roll. Spontaneity, baby. It's all about having fun. We also talk about the three treasures herbal system in Chinese medicine. So we break down tons of different herbs, what they can do for you, how you take them, some pitfalls to avoid in terms of what's available on the market. We also talk about his experience with the Wim Hof method, the benefits of infrared saunas, and lastly, the Zen of surfing. So this is an info-packed, super fun conversation with a guy that I really love. He's a local LA dude. We're kind of from the same mindset, the same tribe. And if you like me and what I do, you're definitely going to love Sage. So thank you again so much for joining me and enjoy the interview. I've noticed in the last few weeks that I'm getting more and more questions submitted through the website and on social media, and I wanted to let you, the listener, know that I'm very open to suggestions about the show or just general questions. If you've got something you want to know the answer to, you can always submit that to info at lukestory.com or just leave it on Instagram or on my Facebook page and I will either answer it myself or do my best to get one of my guests to answer it. And I'd like to let you know that if you're interested in working with me in a one-on-one coaching capacity that you can do so easily by going to lukestory.com forward slash coaching where you can set up an appointment to hang out virtually with yours truly. Our show today, folks, is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies in the world of medicinal mushrooms. So Four Sigmatic make these amazing little packets of herbal and superfood elixirs. They're delicious, they're super potent, very high quality herbs, and they're really, really easy to use. So they're a standalone drink. You can make them hot or cold. They come in a little packet. It's a powder. You stir it up, blend it, you're good to go. Or you can add it to an existing drink like a bulletproof coffee, for example. If you caught my episode one and got the episode upgrade, or you happen to have seen it on YouTube, I make an amazing recipe called Supercharged Bulletproof Coffee, in which I use Four Sigmatic Herbs. So it's one of my favorite companies. I use their stuff all the time. I absolutely stand behind them. They are badass. 
What's even more badass is that I got you a little hookup, my friend. That's right. We got you covered with a 15% off coupon at foursigmatic.com. Go to the site, enter this code, the lifestylist, and you will save 15%. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code, the lifestylist, for a 15% discount. And if you'd like a recommendation on where to start once you get there, I would definitely get cracking on the Chaga and the Rishi blends. Those are two of my very favorite drinks. And Chaga is kind of difficult to make on your own. And when you boil it like I do, you really only get the water extraction and not the fat-soluble extraction in which you would have to use alcohol. So they use a dual extraction, which you're going to hear about in episode eight with Taro Isakaupila, the co-founder of the company. So enjoy your medicinal mushrooms. Stay healthy, stay strong, stay well. Enjoy the lifestyle. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at humancharger.com. The human charger is a device that I use on a very regular basis to not only treat the negative effects of jet lag, but also just to increase my energy levels, mood, and mental alertness. So how does this magical machine work? Essentially, it shoots white light into your ear canal via these little earbuds, which hits the photosensitive areas of your brain and activates the creation of serotonin, dopamine, and neuroadrenaline, basically the chemicals that your brain makes to keep you awake and feeling good. So it's a really cool piece of biohacking technology known as light therapy, and this stuff's been used since the 80s, and I use it all the time. It's very effective. If you want to check it out and learn more about how to use this device and jet lag in general, you can go back to episode 28, where we talk all about it for about an hour. Then I want to encourage you to get over to humancharger.com forward slash Luke. And when you're there, use the discount code STORY20 to save 20% off your order. That's humancharger.com forward slash Luke. Sage Dammers applies his passion for peak performance nutrition and traditional herbal systems by recreating classic indulgencies in ways that aren't just health neutral, but massively beneficial. He started six elixir bars and five-star hotels in Paris and Sydney, serving gourmet longevity elixirs to world travelers. Sage is the creator and co-founder of Addicted Wellness Chocolate, the only chocolate on the market that is raw, sugar-free, and incorporates powerful extracts of tonic herbs. So here we are, another episode of The Lifestylist with my boy Sage. What's happening? Thank you, Luke, for having me. Really psyched to be here with you. I am too. It's cool. So we're trying something new, you listeners at home today. We're recording in my living room. And if you want to see this, it'll be up on YouTube also. Because today, I don't know why, I just got a wild hair. And I I guess it's because like I know you. Right. And I won't feel that embarrassed if something goes wrong, technically. We can go <laughs> you know? on a whole new adventure here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if I'm interviewing some PhD scientist I've never met, you know, it's like I'm going to play it safe and go in my office studio. But I've been having good luck with these, um, my remote sort of mobile unit when I go to people's homes and offices and stuff to record. So I thought, God, my living room is so much more cozy than that little office in a yeah. way. And it looks way cooler on video. What's up, video camera? So I'm doing an experiment today. So far, so good. Good, but um, we'll see how the sound goes in here. I'm I'm used to doing it in my insulated little room, but since I knew you and I knew we we're going to have some fun, here we are. So I'm glad that you made it over here. It's great. I'm stoked we can do this together. It's yeah, me too, awesome. man. And I just had tell me what I just drank. The great thing you guys about having a podcast is that uh, when you interview someone that 
makes some kind of product or has written a book. Like I think I have five or six books on my coffee table right now that I haven't read. I got one from Katie Bowman that looks amazing, but then there's like the Jing Slingers gave me their oh, cookbook. Oh, they're incredible, and, man. You'll so it's that. like I have all these books, which is nice, but oftentimes they don't get around to reading the books other than just reading them to make notes for my interviews and then I read them down the road. I think I have like five John Gray books because that guy writes a book every right, weekend. The amount of wisdom is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... You brought me over some of your amazing addictive wellness chocolates, and I want to tell the listeners they are aptly named because they're hella addictive, which we'll get into <laughs> later. But what was this new? I think I had a prototype tea. Of yeah, some so sort. we just brought you a, a prototype. One of our drink mixes are going to be called Elixir Blends. They'll be like early 2017 coming out, probably. Cool. And um, that was the chai one. What so was you, in that? yeah, you had the chai flavor. So these are all. Uh, they have just like one gram of sugar coming from the kuma, uh, so so practically sugar free, um, and like vegan, paleo, all totally cool for those kind of people. And then we put some really powerful tonic herb extracts. So like in the one you had, you had lion's mane, cordyceps, astragalus, and tremella, and not just like a little bit of each to get them on the ingredient label, but like a really meaningful dose, so you really feel them. I am feeling pretty awesome. And I added some Bulletproof Brain Octane and some grass-fed butter to make a nice creamy sort of latte. And I got to say, I'm feeling pretty damn good. Nice. Yeah, but we, I, know, we made it so that uh, you can do it with just hot water, but then there's also the options that you can, you know, you could blend it with a nut milk. You could put, you know, butter or ghee or Brain Octane oil and really take it to the next level. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It feels pretty good. It's. Uh, I'm trying to quantify what is from that and what is from the neurofeedback that I've been doing. Mm. I've been going to this place called Peak Brain Institute out on the west side and I go three days a week for 30 minute sessions and I just actually got back right before I came and met you here. And uh, the neurofeedback is interesting because you can up train or down train different parts of your brain. And so the one that I did, uh, what's today, Wednesday, right? So the one I did on Monday was up training the part of my brain that improves your sleep. Mm. And so I last night I got like a 90% on my sleep app. It was incredible. I mean, I'm usually like 70 or something like that. Right. And wow. 90 is like amazing. So that was cool. But I went in today and Dr. Hill, the guy that runs the place and is, you know, he's like a neuroscientist from uh, UCLA, like next level genius guy. And today he's like, well, let's work on your focus and alertness. And oh, so, so, they, you're on so they up-trained my left uh, hemisphere and he goes and he was so right i mean he's been doing this forever but he said you're going to get really fatigued while you're doing the training which is essentially kind of like watching a video game and you're i don't know if you're familiar with neurofeedback but for the listeners um it it lets your brain see what it's doing so it's like a way for your brain to watch your brain and then there's little rewards and consequences that get signaled to your brain and then the video game sort of reacts to that it's really super trippy stuff but what happened was I got super tired and he's, and that's what he said would happen. I was like, oh, how am I going to go do this interview? <laughs> I'm like <laughs> literally feel brain dead and I'm falling asleep. And he said, then after there's like a 30, to, 30 minute to an hour threshold and then you're going to be super hyped, maybe even like over um, excited. Ah, so, so we should have given you some more ratio to like, yeah, <laughs> I know. So I'm like, I took, I think the stim more stimulating tea, but anyway, um, I love it. And something you mentioned that I want to actually just go right into is... You mentioned you didn't put ingredients like herbs on there just to have them on the label. And I know this is something I'm kind of a superfood and herb and supplement aficionado, at least armchair version. Absolutely. And uh, I think I'm pretty good at discerning the brands that really, really have integrity. And what I notice is 
there'll be like a really small recommended dose for something and there's like 400 herbs in there. You know? Right, that's what I always like. You <laughs> see like, products where they'll yeah. say, oh, 95 different superfoods and herbs. And you look at each one and you see like a lot of those are just like fruit powders, like blueberry powder and orange juice powder. And then you stick a little like in the milligram, like small milligram numbers of actual herbal extracts. And there's no potency there. Yeah, so like it's uh, there's a lot of labeling scams I feel like in the supplement industry, and I just to me I just look at it from common sense. I'm like, how could you fit that many things in a tablespoon dose? So if there's like a super green thing that has 500 things in it, and the recommended dose is a tablespoon, I'm like, how much ashwagandha am I actually getting in a dose? I would right. rather just take a whole teaspoon of ashwagandha and just then, take it straight. Like yeah. yeah, just make my own, which is essentially actually what I do now. I make my own drinks and stuff like that using herbs, which we'll go deeper into uh, because I want like the maximum dose mm-hmm. of each thing rather than a micro dose of five hundred things. Absolutely, yeah, because a lot of those five hundred things are not going to be necessarily the most really amazing, mind blowing, life changing, health enhancing things. They're going to be just kind of all right. Yeah, I want. That's I, not what you I want. guess <laughs> me, I'm extreme. I want like the needle mover, you know? Exactly. So let's talk about, uh, Sage, how how you were brought up, because we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the years, and it seems like even though you're younger than I, we have some definite parallels in mm-hmm. the way that we were influenced as a kid, and, and I think you probably even to more so of an extreme were exposed to the health food scene and wellness and spirituality and stuff. So where do you come from and what's your deal? Yeah, so I, I grew up here in Southern California, so not really coming from anywhere super exotic, but a really neat place in terms of kind of the, the health and consciousness vortex that is around like LA and, and surrounding areas kind of. It's, it's you know, when whenever people who are into this kind of stuff come from other parts of the world, they're really amazed at at how many people are into our kind of lifestyle here. And so I grew up first in Calabasas and it was amazing. You know, I lived out in the Santa Monica Mountains, so really close to nature, could just hike right out from our backyard. And I guess one of the most really unique and fortunate aspects of my upbringing was that my parents were devotees of Baba Muktananda, spiritual teacher from India. And after his passing, uh, Gurumai Chiflasananda, who was his successor. And so uh, he had passed before I was born. So I never got to, to meet him personally. But so our house was a meditation center for people on this path, with, which they called the city yoga path. And so literally every Thursday night was what they would call satsang at our house when um, people from the community would all come over for spiritual talks, uh, chanting Sanskrit mantras and meditation. So definitely to have this happening in my house every week as I was growing up through my formative years, especially you know in those ultra-formative zero to seven years, uh, it was just so powerful. Was there any point at which you rebelled against that or were like, this sucks, what are all these hippies with orange rubs doing in my house? <laughs> or, were yeah, you, no, or did I never you kind really of take rebelled. to it? I just, I, there was times in my life where it, I would say probably between like age nine and 18 where it didn't have a primary role, but it had laid that foundation during those first eight years where it was a core part and and still is a core part of who I am and kind of formed the way I interact with reality. Um, Right. So that couldn't go away. So yeah. So when you're actually, you're physiologically speaking, when your brain was being formed and you're creating neurons and you're essentially building a brain as you're growing up, your brain is being infused with spiritual ideas 
ideology. Mm. It's like the framework of you interacting with the world is coming from a powerful place. Right. Which is very cool. See, I, I didn't have that much exposure to, to that kind of stuff. My house is definitely not an ashram. <laughs> it was, you know, <laughs> full of hell's angels and all sorts of <laughs> sordid activities. Right. Uh, the polar opposite in a way. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, my mom was from Berkeley and we lived in um, Sonoma County in Northern right. California. And she took, as we've discussed, it's just interesting because I I never meet anyone that even knows who Muktananda was mm. usually, unless they're really, really into spiritual stuff. But she took me to his ashram, and I, I think I said it in episode one. I talked about it, but I don't know. I was probably nine or ten or something like that, and uh, and I loved the incense, and I loved just the energy there, and that you took your shoes off, and it was just this really calm environment. And I was so serene, right? Like, yeah, and I was really enamored with him. I mean, I remember being like, "Who's the dude on the stage you know, <laughs> with the beard or whatever?" Like, I want to talk to. Or he used to wear these weird little orange like hats and stuff. But whatever he was, I was like, "That guy, that guy, that's my guy," you know. And then you you could come up and sort of um you know give him flowers and he'd give you a blessing or something like that and. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I do remember um, asking my mom about it later in life. And I was like, what was up with that? Like, what did he say to me? And what did I say? And she said, oh, he told you that you had a really old soul Mm. and you just love that. You thought that was so cool. You know, because when you're a little kid, you feel inadequate. I guess I felt inadequate and you always want to be grown up. It's good to hear special things about yourself, like that you're, you you know, unique in a positive way. Yeah. So it was a a cool experience. And then I, I recently, when I was actually recording my podcast, I was like, do you have anything other info about Muktananda because I feel like it was a very pivotal moment in my life because it would later lead to all sorts of interest and things like meditation and yoga and going to India and doing a lot of stuff that I've done and she said I just remember that you were so enamored with this guy you were just like glued to this dude and you really wanted to be near him and I always felt there was some sort of karmic significance to you know the grace of the guru and sort of being in that darshan and getting whatever transmission was being uh, presented. Just you being know? in that space, yeah. And then like, when you go for the darshan, his... you get bopped over the head with the peacock feathers. It's like <laughs> yeah. so much shakti and spiritual energy. In that, but isn't Utsananda kind of known for being the shakti guy? I mean, he was yeah. like, you be in his you know, presence and you know, people would get enlightened or have these you know, advanced states of consciousness sort of bestowed upon them. Yeah, I, I mean, his growing energy. up, I heard wild stories from my parents from being around him and then that they had heard just kind of through the lineage from... From Nityananda, who was Muktananda's teacher, just like you know, different miracles and, and and stuff that you know had been witnessed over the years and things like that. Yeah, there's um, a really interesting story that Ram Das uh, talked about on in one of his talks from the 70s or whatever, and it was on his podcast, and it was like. Oh man, he was hanging out with Muktananda. I wish I could recount the story. I'm sorry to tease the listener with it, but it was, it was like something to the effect where. Um, he was in a couple places at once. Let's right. just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. You know so I've I mean? heard a similar one from by locality about, about Nityananda, where he's you know like a, a six foot plus tall guy in in just a loincloth in India, and the bus driver sees him standing at the bus stop. You know this really dark guy, it's, you know six six foot four, whatever in a, in a loincloth, and says, "No way, I'm not stopping to pick this guy up." Goes on to the next bus stop. There he is again, down the road, like a mile later. Right. He's like, whoa, holy crap. Like, I, I love, better stop. And yeah, like, <laughs> I love those kind of stories. There's so many. I mean, Ram Das has a million about his guru. And, mm. you know, there's like one where um, they 
he was ill or something like that. So they locked him up in this room and padlocked it. And there was a guard there. And then everyone thinks he's still in the room. And then somebody spots him across the village, you know, just like, just like story after story after story. If anyone's interested in that kind of stuff, there's a Ram Dass podcast. It's really good. And he, you know, he just gives all these accounts, but on that note, when I interviewed John Gray the first time, I have another one coming up with him next week where we're going to talk about sex. Specifically, oh, I loved your first interview. With oh, him. cool. Thanks. Yeah. But in that one, we talked about Muktananda and we talked about you know these mystical powers that the gurus have and stuff like that. And he was around, I think it was the Maharishi for many, many years. It was a devotee mm-hmm. of his and was basically ended up becoming his like personal assistant. Was it the Maharishi? Do you have any it was, I believe so. It was, and he was working with the TM yeah. Foundation, right? Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. one of their head teachers. Yeah, exactly. So when we started talking about those stories and these powers, because I was always so fascinated with just those abilities. And I remember my family used to go over and see Sai Baba in Puttaparthi, India, and they would come back with these crazy stories of how he would manifest things out of his hands and make vibhuti, and he would make you a ring, and it would just literally like materialize out of the palm of his hand. And he would do a lot of things where different people saw him at the same time in different places. Yeah. He would come and address a room full of his devotees and they were international from all over the world and spoke different languages. And each person in the room would hear what he was saying in, in their, their native language. language. Like, you know, just, and I know when my family would come back from these trips, I know they're not crazy and I know they're not liars. So even as a kid, I was like, I kind of believe it could be hard stories. for the Western mind to process. Yeah. But, but when I talk anyway, but when I talked to John Gray about it, he was like, well, let's not get too excited about that stuff. He's like, they're just people because, right. you know, this is where the tales of the fallen gurus that, you know, take on 60 wives and have a bunch of Rolls Royces and become all crazy and materialistic and abusive and cult like. And there's all that other uh, dark side of the guruism. Very much so. And he had a very sober sort of approach. He said, yeah, Luke, these people have these powers, but they also leave the world and go poop in a diaper somewhere. You know, it's like you can gain spiritual power and insight, but actually still be present in the world and have a positive impact and have a family and be kind of a household or so. It was interesting because I've always been so impressed by their mystical powers. And John Gray was like, it's kind of lame, actually. Having been right. someone who's like, and that's, I think, close the, the transition them. that's happened very much in that whole scene. Um, since I was first in it when I was a kid, it was, you know, a big deal. But it, then it kind of transitioned to more like find the light inside yourself, be your own guru, be your own seeker, and not necessarily you know put somebody up on a pedestal as this person is going to lead me to enlightenment. Rather, you find it within yourself. Right. Yeah, I guess that's the point that he was trying to make. It's like, yeah, these guys have these powers and they are able to do these miracles, but it's sort of like it's not about the miracle. Those are just little tricks that they use to sort of break a person or devotee or someone who's interested in these things to break them out of the matrix yeah, and kind of win them over so that the real work can be done. In other words, the little parlor tricks of the guru right. aren't really it's what like it's about. Tony Robbins will do stuff like that. He'll do things to like shock and awe people so he can do some real work on them and get them present. Right, right. And, right. and, and uh, kind of just blow their mind so that then he can go and do a little re-sculpting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, to kind of get their attention. That's mm-hmm. true. Did you, I'm assuming you saw that documentary about him. On Netflix, yeah. Yeah, really yeah, great. Nice. Yeah, I didn't really know anything about him. And when I watched that, I was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. I don't know why. I just had preconceived ideas about him that he was cheesy or something. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I want to go to one, <laughs> one of those intensives, <laughs> dude. It's very cool. Yeah, he kind of has the Zen bitch slap approach. You know, like there was right. one guy in that movie who was, you know, acting very neurotic and odd. And he did something like, he's like, yo, what's up with those lame shoes? Or, oh, he's the suicidal guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why are you upset? 
It's because of the shoes. Yeah, that's what it was, right? And the guy's like, what, what? He just broke him They're out of the, red. <laughs> he got him unhypnotized right. by his mind because he did something that was like so out of left field or he'll say something like you said, that's kind of abrasive or offensive and, uh, and use it as a tool. Like I was amazed how much he swears. Right. Because I always feel guilty when I swear, especially on my podcast. I, I find myself editing myself a lot and in conversations. I don't want to offend people when I teach at School of Style. I'm always like trying to put a damper on that. But sometimes there's just no other fucking way to express yourself. It can you know have what an I mean? interesting it's like, impact. Yeah. Sometimes it's like you just a certain comment requires a degree of emphasis that can't be achieved, you know. For and when me. you use it discerningly, right? If you're using it all the time, it just becomes your, your new baseline. Right. But I think if you use it selectively, it can I mean, do you do you hit people up? Do you when, swear a lot? I mean, you to me, like you have this super peaceful vibe. You seem like a really nice guy. Like, you know, I hang around some guys that have like no manners and are very uncouth, and I love them for that. But you know, <laughs> there's certain parties I might not invite them to. You know, because right. everyone's gonna be like, "Who is that guy?" But you seem like super chill. I mean, thank you. When you're around your friends, are you like? Do you get sailor mouth when I don't, it's appropriate? Not over the top, but sure, I use the appropriate words to describe whatever it is that needs to be communicated. What if you like hit your hand with a hammer? Are you like motherfucker? <laughs> um, no. So with pain like that, I actually do it a little bit differently, and just this may be a little bit woo woo, but I just try to like really feel into it, just send a lot of energy to that part of the body, and not lose my cool. But I try to do that. It doesn't yeah. always work. That's cool. Doesn't David, always work, David Hawkins I'd... talked about that a lot, how you can transmute pain by actually centralizing your focus to the point of contact or the point of pain. And he ended up using that technique to go through multiple surgeries without anesthetic. I don't know why he elected to not do the anesthetic. He never tells that part. Mm. But he had some pretty wow. hardcore surgeries and he just just go in the zone and just breathe through it. What you know? a testament to the power yeah. of the mind. Yeah, pretty trippy stuff. Okay, so so you're a kid and you know your house basically is turned into an ashram. You're cool with that. You don't you know, mind having all these. I mean, I'm assuming the vibes are good. You have people Amazing probably vibes. playing with you and paying yeah, and, attention to you. And people from you. there that I'm still tight with today, you know, that were, were kind of almost like aunts and uncles to me at that age, but now they're like brothers and sisters still. Um, when you were a kid... Did people speak to you like you were an adult rather than like, I imagine conscious people are like, hey, what's up, Sage? Oh, you want to go do this thing? And they're like, oh, Sage, you pooch, you want to go? It's always a combination, right? Okay, some people, okay. some people uh, and, and probably more of the ones who I'm still really connected with, would talk to me like an adult. And that's why we were able to transition from having the, the kind of like an uncle-nephew-esque kind of friendship then to have being brothers now. It's because we were always adult friends, right. almost, right? But yeah, there's always going to be people who... We'll treat a kid like a kid, and that's yeah, that's all right. I just ask because I notice like some people sort of in the in the new age or conscious circles, they seem to make a concerted effort to treat their children as an equal. Yeah, I and appreciate sometimes, that. And sometimes that comes off as just like, okay, cool, here's what we're going to do. Like they're talking to a peer in a way. Mm-hmm. They don't use like baby talk language and oversimplify things. And I've noticed that kids that grow up in that environment tend to be... I don't know. They seem to be really high IQ. Like you talk to a seven-year-old that's been around the yoga community. They're like, "Hey, what's up, Luke? Yeah, what's going on?" So I'm like, "Wait, who are you?" (laughs) You know, you're like, you're like, it's really nice to interact with them. A big soul person in a little person's body, and you can kind of like. I love meeting kids like that. It's such a you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, people have names for it. It's the they're the 
Quarian kids or indigo I don't, children. Yeah, or, indigo, or, yeah, or yeah, yeah indigo them, children, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I don't know what any of that means right. exactly, but I think it's just like a, a certain degree of consciousness that mm-hmm. certain people raise their kids with. So, uh, okay, so what else? So, how, so I was so, growing up as a vegetarian at the time. Okay. Um, and, but not by any means a healthy vegetarian, yeah. like as long as it wasn't meat or fish, or I was eating it. So, so dairy was all fair game. Um, and lot, you know, sugar was in, it was like dinner was like rice and tofu five nights a week. Right. And I loved it. Right. So a lot but, of tofu. You know, at any point, did you grow into like a B cup breast or anything? So the, interestingly, I never did. Some, somehow, like, like there's so many things wrong with tofu and soy from being GMO to slowing down your thyroid to having all these phytoestrogens. Somehow I avoided all of that. It still probably wasn't the most amazing thing for me, but I did okay. I wouldn't recommend that diet to anybody, but you know, kind of by the time I got to like 14, I started getting like exposed to a little bit more of Eastern health philosophy. Uh, my parents opened a, a wellness center and I kind of started learning about prevention as opposed to looking for a cure and just started twisting my mind around that and understanding that approach. And then when I was 18, 19, I started really getting into health and nutrition a bit. Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to a product he was making, which was like a, a mix of hemp protein with lots of other kind of just Western herbs and like chlorella and spirulina. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. You know, for me, the motivation was what can I do to be stronger and surf longer? That was my big passion, still is. That's a good motto be stronger and surf longer. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta trademark that. Listeners, don't steal that shit. Sage might use That's it. That's mine. I might use it. I just gotta think of a product that fits that. Right. Okay. And so I started doing this and I didn't know what I was doing. I would just mix this protein mix with like uh, blueberries and strawberries and some orange juice and, and blend it up. And it tasted horrible, but I didn't care. I was, you know, motivated. And so I noticed after having it for a little while, my fingernails were growing out brown. Like I, I was having like a crazy detox out of my fingernails, which was amazing. And I was feeling this incredible high after drinking it. And just this amazing clarity I'd never felt before. It was like being high, but not, you know, no fog to it. No, it just total peak performance state. And it blew my mind. And it just got me thinking if this was out there all along, and I've been missing out on this, what else is out there that I don't know about that could really enhance my life experience? So I got into learning and reading more about, you know, raw foods, superfoods, a little bit later on, Chinese and Ayurvedic herbal systems and some Amazonian herbs and just the more I would learn, the more I would apply in my life. The more I applied in my life, the better I felt, the more excited I got about the whole thing. And it was just this great benevolent cycle. So when your parents had this wellness center, what sort of modalities were they using there? What did you get exposed to there? So they had these uh, infrared massage beds where you would have these, it was infrared heated throughout. And then you would have jade rollers that would go up and down your back. So amazing infrared heat for improving circulation. And then stretching out the back, giving a gentle traction. And that was really nice. I was, I was using those from age 14 and just like loved it. It helped me, you know, to develop good posture and would, I would study on there. So I'd just be like really relaxed studying when I was in high school. Would people go and stay there? Or was it just like a kind of a day spot? Just a day thing. Yeah. You would go, you know, for like an hour or two. And then they had uh, infrared saunas, which are incredible. I know you're a fan of as well. Yeah. So that's something we both have in common. And I don't. I find more and more people are asking me about those. When I, I don't know. I guess I've had mine for fifteen years or something. I just assume everyone knows about infrared saunas and that everyone knows why there's. To me, 
so far superior to like a normal like box of rocks, old school like electric mm-hmm. heaters. <laughs> but I've been t- I just was talking to someone the other day about this that I interviewed, and he was like, "Infrared saunas are those cool?" I was like, "What?" You know, he's like totally yeah, it's into still this in the stuff. infancy of getting out there into it's the crazy knowledge. i guess you know how it is you live in this insulated sort of world it's like all the people in my circle either have a sauna or they go use one or they come use mine and right. it's kind of common knowledge so what have you found the benefits of the infrared saunas well the benefits are so wide-ranging obviously there's the detox so with an infrared sauna you it's not as hot in there you have the heating panels which are heating your body directly rather than in the box of hot rocks. You have the rocks which heat the air, which heat you. So it's a pretty ineffective and inefficient way of heating the body. So it has to be so hot in there and you can only stay in for a limited amount of time. And it's hard on the lungs and stuff like that, breathing in that super hot air. It is. That's the thing. When you get in a like a old school sauna that they have at a gym or even like at a hotel or something mm. like that. I mean, I'll, I love a sauna. Any, I'll take any goddamn sauna over no sauna. Oh, absolutely. I could not live in a world without saunas. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> it's, just, it's been part of my life for so long. And even before I had one. But yeah, I find that the air gets really hot and it sort of hurts my lungs. Right. And then also I get so fatigued and tired that I can only stay in there for, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But an infrared sauna, unless I'm bored, I mean, I can stay in there for... 30, 45 minutes, Easy, yeah. an hour. But I mean, I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm sort of done sitting here after that long. Yeah, it gets boring after a little while. But I mean, because I usually heat my sauna up. I wonder what it is. It's like 150 degrees Celsius when I heat mine up because I reinforce it. I put like two layers of drywall on top so the heat can't escape. So you probably 150 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit because 100 degrees Celsius, um, you'd be boiling Wait, no, water. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 55 degrees Celsius. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That's, that sounds safer. What's that? Do you know offhand? Oh, uh, it's pro- it's no, I don't know. No, okay. We have to convert that. Yeah. Anyway, but I get it really hot before. I know when I do it, it's like in the 40s. So. Okay. When I get in there, I'll also sometimes take a hot shower and kind of just get warm first, or I'll jump on my rebounder. I got this really cool Bellicon rebounder that's usually sitting right here in front of us. Wouldn't have made a good video. Uh, so I'll get like warm and then I'll go in there and I'm sweating from the moment I get in there and I'll stay in there usually about 30 minutes and I just sweat like crazy. A deep sweat, right? Yeah, dude. And in a regular sauna, I mean, it takes me way longer to start sweating. And then once I am, I'm like so tired that I got to get out. I can't like get the full effect. So right. anyway, that's kind of my experience. But what- Yeah, because with the infrared heat, it actually penetrates so much deeper into your body. With the hot rocks, it's what they call a surface heat. So it's like when you're in a shower, you're hot, but then you get out and you're already cold because the heat didn't really penetrate very deep, whereas the infrared can go up to two and a half centimeters into the tissue. So you're getting deep muscle relaxation, you're heating up much more deeply um, and detoxifying more powerfully as well. Because of that deeper penetrating heat, in an infrared sauna, the weight of your sweat is comprised of about 15% toxins, fats, heavy metals, and other impurities. Whereas in a regular sauna, that's 2%. So you've got like seven and a half times more bad stuff coming out of you in the infrared sauna sweat compared wow, to a regular crazy. sauna. I so, didn't even know that. Yeah, you get way more that's uh, effect for your time spent doing it. Right, right. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I also, I think I'm addicted to it just for the pain relief. Mm-hmm. 
Like I have a lot of back pain still. It's one thing I haven't been able to hack somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like listeners always keep sending it. People send me stuff and I'm always like, tried it, tried it, tried it. You yeah. know, but if anyone's listening, you have any magic bullets. My next thing is like stem cell treatment. I have some more like hardcore stuff I want to try. But what I do is, you know, I do mobility stuff. I do yoga, all that, ice baths, which I know we're going to talk about. But the thing that helps it most on a daily basis is the infrared sauna and also the Biomat, which is an infrared kind of heating pad. that right. I, it's I got use the that. amethyst in there. Yeah, right? I use that every single day. That's my meditation pad. And it it just knocks you on your ass. It's really mm. great for meditating because it relaxes you. It puts you into this like parasympathetic state. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, just for pain management too, I love the sauna. It's really great before bed. And I track my sleep too. And when I do an infrared sauna before bed, I mean, I'll cool off a little bit. I'll just chill. I don't like take the sauna and get into bed all sweaty, but I'll take like a you know warm shower and kind of cool off. But on my sleep app, I'll score usually like at least 10% higher on nights that I do. Yeah, it's so great for that parasympathetic and with the pain too. Um, it's, it actually changes your pain tolerance. In, in addition to the way that it's improving, the problems themselves with things like the the circulation and some accelerated healing, it's actually changing your pain tolerance. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because you kind of have the the heat. It's just, the grit. It's the hot and the cold will do that, right? Whether you're going into hot or cold, it's strengthening your nervous system. So you're gonna improve your pain tolerance. I was thinking about that last night because I went and did an ice bath and I can just jump in there now, no problem. And I built right. up and the water's usually like thirty five degrees and I'll take like a gasp when I get in, like, okay, one right. good Give gasp. Give yourself one breath to get it Yeah, and then I'm just like, do, 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 do. I'm just sitting in there chilling, just relax. And I'm like, and oh, and here's the thing. Even up to about a month ago, I had to periodically lift my feet out because my feet would really hurt in there. Oh. Yeah. And so if I wanted to stay like over 10 minutes, you know, if I want to do like a 15 or 20 minute bath at 35 degrees, right. That's serious I can stuff. get hardcore, I'd have to pop my feet out. There's just too much. And now right. I could keep my feet under the whole time. No, I don't even notice it. Like my feet feel like the rest of my body. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I bet I'm like not only reducing the inflammation, but becoming less sensitive to pain in general. Right. So I thought to myself, maybe I could work up to where I do no anesthesia surgery. <laughs> oh, that, that is in, intense. I'm, I'm working up to be able to surf like two hours in the California winter without a wetsuit. Right. I'm at like, you know, half hour, 40 minutes right. at the moment. So you but were. So let me you know were, how it goes with the surgery. Yeah, so well, hardcore. yeah. I plan. I mean, I'm totally joking. I'm. I reversed. I'm actually going to retract that. I don't ever want to have a surgery. But right. I was just thinking, like, man, I'm actually probably getting pretty hardcore if I can handle this. But I didn't know that you also are building up the pain tolerance or just discomfort tolerance in the sauna. I never realized that. Yeah. So so with the heat, and this happens whether you're in a traditional sauna or an infrared sauna. You're actually kind of moving the needle on your regular pain threshold. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So you're growing up around all these hippies and spiritual people. Your parents have a wellness center. You start as a late teen getting into some herbalism and things like that and taking saunas and all that. How did you end up parlaying your interest and passion for that into a company. As I mentioned, you've got this great company called Addictive Wellness. You. If you are in LA and you go into Air One, you're going to see them at the register. That's how I always fall for them. <laughs> <laughs> you have really good placement. You have some some good connections at Air One because sure I'll be like, do. all right, I'm not going to spend $500 the folks there. when I come in here and I'm like, dude, dude, dude. I'm like, ah, shit, there goes eight bucks, you know? But they are like some of the best, I think, most high quality herbal infused 
chocolates that I've ever come across. And they're, it's really hard with chocolate, too, to find low sugar or no sugar versions. Right. They're the ones that are out, like they're not organic and they don't have herbs. They're just like, I don't want to mention them by name because I still eat them when I'm in a pinch, mm. but I don't want to put them down. But they're like with stevia. Their intention's in the right place. Yeah, stevia and xylitol, but you don't really know if they're if the soy lecithin is non-GMO. Right. You know, there's like a couple funky things about it that makes them less than ideal, but still a million times better than a Hershey's bar or something. So how did you get into the game of addictive wellness and, and making these delicious sweets? So I was loving the raw chocolate concept from the moment I was getting into health because immediately when you're getting healthy, you think, oh, all my favorite treats can't ever have any more. That's all done. I got to forget they even exist and just block them off in my brain. But when there's that answer, okay, you can still have raw chocolate. And that was kind of the first indulgence I knew you could have in a healthy way. But at the time, you know, they were all being done with agave, maybe a few with coconut palm sugar. They all had some form of sugar in there. As you mentioned, there's a few out there that, that are sugar-free, but the taste is not always epic. They haven't quite nailed it. And so I just got the worst craving for one of your chocolates right now. <laughs> Do we need to take an intermission? <laughs> you brought me, he, you guys, he brought me like a, this like master collection of every single flavor. And I was like, oh, cool. And I ate one. And now literally my mouth is like water. And I'm like, God, uh, why didn't I eat three of them? That's good. I'll pay, I could pace myself. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Build your willpower. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so I wanted to be able to have a sugar free raw chocolate. And it's because. A little bit of sugar can work for some people. I don't think it's ideal. I think being on a fat-burning metabolism is, is more of an ideal situation for most people. But I had had antibiotics throughout my teen years for teen skin issues. I didn't know any better at the time, but I was literally on daily antibiotics from age 15 to 19. And so that you can imagine that totally had ravaged my microbiome. And, and so in going to restore the balance of things, I had to go no sugar whatsoever and really super minimal carbs and so i wanted to still be able to have raw chocolate here i think this is like something i really can have but nobody was doing it sugar-free so i started making it and it would incorporate all these herbs i was learning about as i you know developed my knowledge in that area more chinese and ayurvedic herbs because chocolate is such a great delivery system for them and the chocolate is an mao inhibitor which means it allows the herbs to stay in your body for longer what? and it's also a vasodilator so it's driving them in deeper so, so that's what you mean by a delivery system. Right. So when so you mix something with cacao or with chocolate, you're sort of like mainlining whatever it is that it's mixed with. Yeah, you're magnifying the benefits. It's, mm. it's going to get driven deeper into your system than it normally would. Your absorption is going to be better. And it's going to stay in your system and keep working for longer before it gets kicked out. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So a great excuse to eat more chocolate as long as it's a good kind. And thanks to David Wolf, you know, and uh, listeners, I, I interviewed him and we touched on this uh, a few episodes ago, but he's really the first guy that came out talking about chocolate or cacao as a superfood and something that's good for you. I mean, I've been in the health scene forever. I've never heard mm -hmm. anyone prior to him be like, yeah, did you know chocolate's good for you? It's like, Chocolate is shit you get at 7-Eleven, you know? Right. Like you don't, you're not supposed to eat it. It opens stuff. up a whole new world of, of possibilities. Yeah, so, so he, when he came out with that, um, and then he had a book about it, and it's loaded with, you know, like zinc and magnesium, and it turns out like actual chocolate's really good for you, and then the whole raw chocolate phenomenon. What, other than being this good delivery system to put things in, like 
chocolate in and of itself, what is it good for? So it's the highest natural source of antioxidants, completely blows everything else away. It's like orders of magnitude higher than, say, blueberries, which you hear a lot about for antioxidants. And then it's the highest natural source of magnesium, the number one mineral that people are deficient in. And it's the highest natural source of chromium, the number one trace mineral that people are deficient in. So when we hear we're missing antioxidants, minerals, and trace minerals, it's got those three checked off with being the number one source. Wow, that's cool. And why does it make you horny? Well, it's got that phenethylamine <laughs> in it. It's called PEA. It's called okay. phenethylamine. I was it's like, I was kind of kidding. I didn't yeah. expect you to have an answer, but please. <laughs> but you know what I'm well, saying? Well, it depends. Like, if you're eating our love chocolate, then I'll give you a different explanation okay. for why that one makes you horny. We'll okay. get into the herbs a little bit. Okay. But chocolate in general has a component called phenethylamine, PEA. And there's seven different kinds of PEA in chocolate six of which are destroyed by the roasting process. So most people who are just eating regular chocolate or roasted cacao beans have only ever had one-seventh of the potential love chocolate experience that is possibly out there. Wow. So if somebody's eating just like a Hershey's bar and they think it's doing that, it's like psychosomatic, basically. Just, well, it's, it's a little bit of it there. It's, it's, it's a hint, right? Yeah. And so when you get into, into raw chocolate, that's when you get the full... Love chocolate experience. And then what's the deal with how chocolate is processed and like when it would be roasted or raw? Because it's like you have this big uh, pod from the cacao tree. Am I mm-hmm. right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big pod. It almost looks, guys, like a uh, like a giant um, papaya. Or not a, yeah. Yeah, sort, sort of, of shape. Like, yeah, like that but kind pointed of, at the ends. Right, okay. But that big, like big ass thing, like a football mm-hmm. size in right. some cases. It's like a skinny football. Okay, and then within that, are these little pods that have the cacao beans. Right. So you have the cacao beans in there in a big okay. spiral. You'll have like 40 or 50 beans inside of a fruit. Okay. And they have this really delicious white I mean, fruit they pulp are, on are the outside of them. Are they almost like a seed? Are they yeah, they're the a seed? nut botanically. Oh, they're a nut. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, carry on. So there's a little bit of white fruit pulp in there, uh, which is generally removed in the processing. Yeah. And then the next step of the process is generally that they're fermented in the jungle. And the way ours is done is in such a way that it's fermented with specific bacterial cultures rather than just out there to pick up whatever oh, kind of So you could do some of it would be processed with like a wild fermentation, which is right. just whatever bacteria is in the air in that particular area. Could be good, could be you know, less than amazing. Okay. Okay. So because this is another part of it too that I think a lot of people are unaware of is that a lot of chocolate that's processed in a suboptimal way is very susceptible to mycotoxins. Exactly. Which are mold for you guys listening. I'm just breaking this down and you correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're totally on it so far. Yeah. So this is the big thing with bulletproof coffee. Everyone's like, well, I make bulletproof coffee with Folgers, whatever. It's the same (laughs) thing. I'm like, no, you're missing the whole goddamn point. The big thing that made Dave Asprey a star and, you know, in terms of the product that he brought to market in this Bulletproof Coffee was, yeah, adding fats, like healthy fats to your coffee. But it's having a really clean coffee bean that is free of mycotoxins. Right. Which it's not is, just putting the right ingredients in there. It's the sourcing of those right ingredients. Right. And, and then he was the one that actually talked about um, the first one I heard that's like, yeah, and it's the same thing in the chocolate industry because chocolate's typically grown in these really humid places in South America, just like coffee is. Mm-hmm. The best chocolate and the best coffee kind of go hand in hand from the same area. Areas and because it's so humid and the processing has to do with uh, moisture and the fermentation, that a lot of chocolate is also um, contaminated with mycotoxins right. with this mold, such as coffee. 
And the other part is that it's not that, because everyone then says, well, if you like heat up the chocolate, aren't you killing the mold? Or if you make coffee with boiling water, don't you like kill the mold so it doesn't hurt you? It's not the mold that's the problem. It's the shits that the molds take in your chocolate and right. in your coffee. Yeah, it's, it's actually the, it's the feces of the mold. Yeah, and that happens all throughout right? nature. Like when, when people have lime, for example, it's not the lime itself. It's not the spirochetes that are causing the actual problem it's their excrement that is oh, wreaking havoc I on the body i didn't know that yeah god and then same thing with dust mites i just did a um, ah. video at samina beds and um, one of the big things that they do in engineering their beds is they make them dust mite proof and so i was doing my research on samina beds and just merino wool bedding and all the different things that are incorporated into that bed and it's the same issue with dust mites like dust mites are fine but if you have a totally traditional commercial bed after a certain number of years, you can expect your mattress to contain like seven pounds of dust mite feces. Whoa, oh my gosh. And this is where the allergens come from. So if you have an inferior mattress uh, that is attractive and appealing to dust mites and um, bedding and comforters and things like that where that don't wick off moisture properly, then the dust mites are attracted to your bed because it's like a lake of water, your sweat that they can drink. Yep. And then basically your whole mattress and box spring and all your blankets just become full of pounds and pounds of dust That's mite delicious. shit. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, dude, I mean, you know, you can't be paranoid. You got to live your life. But at the same time, yeah. if it's like a simple choice between buying this coffee that's the same goddamn price as another nice gourmet coffee or buying some gourmet chocolate that's essentially the same price as some other gourmet chocolate, buying a mattress that is a thousand times more than a normal right. mattress in the case of Samina. But it's like just those little tweaks, right, that yeah. you make in and your life. and it's great the work that you're doing because it's hard for a lot of people to figure this out. If you imagine the average mom of three kids who is going nonstop all day long just taking care of her family without being able to listen to a podcast in the car and, and get this, you know, if you imagine 10 years ago, how does the average person figure something like this out? It's just the information was not able to reach the people. So yeah. now this is exciting because... Anyone can learn this while it's, they're driving. It's cool. I mean, that's why I love what I do because I'm really passionate about learning all this stuff and geeking out on it. But I think a lot of people, like you're saying, either they don't have time to do the research themselves mm -hmm. or they don't necessarily identify with which the way that information is presented. You know, it's right. like no one wants to sit and like talk to a scientist. And so, except my, you and me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do we're, we're want in that to. little subspecies. And then I like take that message and translate it into someone else. Like, you know, no one knows what mycotoxins are generally. So it's like, oh, mycotoxins are mold, but it's not the mold. It's the poop of the mold. Right. So in terms of processing chocolate, so let's get back to, because I find this fascinating. I'm just one of those guys, I like to know the way things work. You yeah. Know, those TV shows where they like explain how they make a beer can. Right. Like I could watch that it's shit all day long, you know? Yeah. I just love knowing how things work. So... So they take the, the white pulp off the coffee so beans. that will and, come off in the fermentation okay. process. And then they... And will, how are they fermented? They put them out like in a big table or they are they in some water? Like what does uh, that No, 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 like? not, not in water or anything. Yeah, they'll usually okay. pile them up on, on banana leaves and things oh, like okay. that. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And then they'll dry them out, sun dry them, and then you have like a dry cacao nib, which you can basically buy here. Right. And then they'll go into a first machine where they get broken into nibs. Some of that will come off to become a product of just cacao nibs. Next step would be that that would get ground into cacao paste, which is basically like a chocolate nut butter. It doesn't taste sweet. It's super bitter. But it's if you like you take an almond, granted an almond butter, you would take a cacao nib 
or nibs and grind them into cacao paste. Then from there, they'll press that and do it gently, you know, low temperature to make sure it doesn't get too heated. And you'll out one end, basically, you'll get cacao butter. At the other end, you get cacao powder. So there's a bunch oh, of different so products separate, that come out they along, the, along the, the line. Fats from is it like carbs or starch? What does the powder consist of? Like the chocolate powder? Is there? You know so what I mean? It, it, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's got some fat in it. It's not. Oh, it does? It's oh. not like completely defatted. Oh, I, um, I think they just basically defat it enough to be able to powder it. Because if something is too fatty, it just becomes a butter, not right, a powder. Right. Because I use cacao butter like that white sort of stuff in some of my hot drinks and in a coffee sometimes and Great stuff flavor. like that. Yeah, it's really good stuff. But mine are like hard chunks, but then you can go to like a um, you know, natural beauty company will make like cacao butter that you put on your skin. Like and they call How it cocoa they butter. Refine it. I I don't know. There's right? I mean, some weird. some of their ingredients in there maybe to thin it out. I, it's not to my kind area of, of expertise. Really yeah, I'm say, just, but, yeah. The the chocolate plant is just like or the cacao plant is just an interesting plant, and so I love breaking down the way that it that gets in different places because yeah. people use it on their skin a lot. So, if we have this issue of maybe the wrong bacteria, or unhealthy bacteria, if in a in a wild fermentation where it's just picking bacteria out of the air and you don't really know what you're getting, so you guys are controlling very specific bacteria. They kick ass on any whack bacteria right. that try to get in and get up in that fermentation mix, and they're like, "Nope, we got this." And they kind of claim their stake on that fermentation, right. right? Yeah. And then so you have the the right bacteria mix in there. And cacao, interestingly, one step down the line, when you eat it, it's actually a great prebiotic food. So it has its own list of benefits for your microbiome. So two steps here. It's a great microbiome kind of food. First, you don't want to have the mold toxin in there. And then you've got a, a spectacular prebiotic with the right kind of prebiotic fiber. Interesting. And for listeners, explain prebiotic basically food for good bacteria in your gut. So they are living, they need to eat, and what they feed on is fiber. And so different fibers will affect them differently. You know, some people will take chicory root, some people take Jerusalem artichoke inulin, some people will do like potato starch, things like that. So it's great to do both prebiotics and probiotics. So probiotics, you're actually introducing the new organisms into your gut environment. Prebiotics, you're giving them some food to eat so they can thrive. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. I yeah. do that in my sleep stack. I put like various degrees of resistant starch or prebiotics with a bunch of probiotics or kefir. I'll have like a spoonful of fermented veggies or something like that. And that's kind of part of my whole sleep thing. And it actually has really improved my sleep too, to keep the gut happy down there because your gut's making like serotonin and melatonin and all sorts of it shit. It reaches like into that. so many areas of your health. It's crazy. Like, yeah. If you got problems, you can trace a lot of it back to your gut. Yeah. And how it's been disturbed perhaps earlier in your life. Maybe you were uh, a C section baby or maybe you had antibiotics every week as a kid, whatever it may be. There's so many ways to screw up your microbiome in our modern world. But we're learning so much about how to put it back on the right track. It's interesting you mentioned C section because I was born in a normal vaginal birth. Thankfully, my mom's a big woman. She's like 5'10". She could handle a 10-pound baby. <laughs> but both my brothers were both C-section. And mm. I learned this later based on what you're saying, but I've watched them. Like They have a lot of immune system problems. They always have a cold. They're always sick. And I've always been like, what the hell? We come... I mean, they're half-brothers. Okay, yeah. They had a different mom. So we, you know, we come from similar stock, but I'm like, yeah, I'm into all this health stuff, but like, God, what's up, guys? And then... I started hearing about the C-section thing and that that 
a baby's essentially inoculated with the healthy bacteria they need to start their own gut biome right. as they come out of the vaginal canal. And if you're cut out from the front of the abdomen, you miss getting bathed in all that slimy, healthy bacteria exactly. and getting it in your you're mouth. You're going to get a whole different bacteria mix and it's not going to be probably ideal. It's going to just be whatever is out there in the air and on people's skin. It's trippy, right? So what I've heard that doctors that are you know more knowledgeable and a bit more sophisticated do now is they actually swab the vaginal swab yeah yeah and like feed it or wherever they get it in the baby that's right. a c-section so you can you know essentially like start that population of the right bacteria because um otherwise you're just going to have a compromised immune system and all sorts of other problems it's yeah. interesting and then some women can't breastfeed and that's uh, the next step of where things can go wrong there and it's hard to find a formula that is not going to have like uh, you know, conventional dairy or uh, conventional soy, GMO soy in there. It's it really difficult. Dude, if anyone's listening and you want to make money, son, mm-hmm. come up with a baby formula that's not toxic. Like it's right. I was working with a client about a year ago and uh, he had a baby. His baby was like um, a few months old and the wife couldn't breastfeed at all. Just dry well. Nothing happened in there. And so she, you know, I, I would did like a kitchen sweep where I go through all their cupboards and get rid of all the corn syrup and weird stuff that they had going on. And they had a lot of weird stuff. And I was like, so what's the kid eating if it's not eating breast milk? Like, oh, it's this really, it's the best organic formula or naturopath told us. I was like, flip it around, look at the ingredients. It's like, I mean, it didn't have corn syrup, but it was, I mean, just a bunch of gnarly stuff. Right. No, I was it's like, probably some s- soy in there. And like, yeah, it was just very... And even when it's organic, you still don't want that. Very suspect. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, they're like, this is the best. So I was like, I got this, I got this. And I came home and started researching. And I was like, oh my God, they do have the best one on the market. There's, it's and it's o- just... Unbelievable. It's horrendous, yeah. you know? Yeah, so that's uh, interesting. So if you're listening... And you're an entrepreneur, man. Find us a formula. Yeah, my sister-in-law had to get one from France to be able to get a non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free formula. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so let's let's get back to the chocolate process. So... so you have this interest in chocolate, right. and now we, you know, I just had to take a detour because I'm fascinated by the actual production. That was process. a good scenic route. So when you're making your chocolate now, where do your bean? What country do your beans come from? And so they're Ecuadorian cacao beans. Oh, okay. And they're of a variety of cacao called Arriba Nacional, which is the heirloom cacao. It's not the the Forastero or the Criollo, which are, are kind of like the modern hybridized varieties, which you would get with most chocolates out there. Um, coming from like Haiti or the Dominican Republic or even other places in Central America or even places in Ecuador will, will grow these or Balinese cacao. And so these are the like the robust heirlooms. Like why do you want to have an heirloom plant? It's the, you know, it's like the ancestor. It's what is able to survive out there in the wild. It is what nature created through, th- you know, however many millions, thousands, years of evolution to get to this point. And then humans have come and tinkered and said, oh, we can make a better version. Maybe, maybe not. Um, so, and it's grown in volcanic soil. So super mineral rich, incredible big old trees. And just, we go for the best of the best. Like for me, if you're going to make a product, you have to be passionate about it. You know, building a business is not an easy thing. It's, so you, it's got to be a product that you stand behind 100% and you feel is the best. And so what was your epiphany that, caused you to create your first chocolate bar? What was your, your first product when you decided, you know what? I made something pretty cool. Maybe other people would like it and I'm going to sell them. 
Yeah, you know, I'd have been making it for years. Um, I've been making it for six, seven years by the time I said, okay, this is like been evolving and is now kind of refined into something that I'd love to be able to bring out to more people. Um, and of course, building a business, it takes time from the point where you say, okay, yeah, let's do it to the point where it's out there in the market and you've put the whole business together in a way that can run sustainably and grow. But it was a long evolution from, you know, making my first raw chocolate. I learned to make it actually, I learned from David Wolf on a retreat in Costa Rica. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was like, it's a cool full circle kind of a thing. And then just evolving and, and perfecting it over the years. At first I was sweetening it with honey, then eventually became sugar-free and incorporated herbs and refined the formulas in there. So it was just a continuous evolution and finally just crossed that line where it's like, yes, let's turn this into something real and significant for as many people as possible. So we have this chocolate in there then that's the delivery system. And I don't know, you're one of the first guys that I've seen that has put the right herbs. And I'm assuming since you're like that mm, careful about the origin of the chocolate that you are about the herbs. I want to talk about the Chinese herbal system a little bit, the three treasures. And I want people to learn what that is because it's like you don't just throw any old herbs together. There has to be some sort of forethought, right? Right, absolutely. And every herb kind of has its partner herbs that it's compatible with and some that it's less compatible with. So you have to take that in consideration, I'm assuming, when you're making the product like you did. And then also it has to actually taste <laughs> good. It taste, yeah, because these herbs taste horrible. If you take a spoonful of these herbs straight, it'll be not a pleasant experience. Yeah, because like me, I'll take herbs. I don't care what they taste like. I just want to get the job done. I'll take a tablespoon of MSM in a glass of water and just pound it. I mean, that would make most right. people throw up, but mm -hmm. that's not even the worst thing I can eat. So... Give us a little bit of a you know an elevator pitch on the Chinese herbal system, if you would. Well, the Chinese herbal system really comes from a deeper philosophy of the Chinese way of looking at health. And in their system, they say your life is built up by what they call the three treasures. These form your, your life. And this is their way of looking at and assessing health in a lot of ways. So the three treasures are Jing, Qi, and Shen. And they use the metaphor of a candle to explain how these work. So the wax and the wick of a candle is the jing. That is your core essence and vitality. You inherit it from your lineage, so coming from your parents. And you'll see some people who, even though they kind of try to live a healthy lifestyle and they're doing a lot of the right things, they've just kind of always been weak and sick and never really gotten their health to a very strong, robust place. Other people do all the wrong things and they're fine. Right? These are people who came into life with a lot of jing. The sickly people didn't get a lot to start with. And so this is your core vitality, your inner power. They call it the energy of the kidneys. And this is like your, your savings account. Some people inherit you know, a big savings account from their parents. Some people don't start off with much at all. And it's not the energy that you're using actively. That's the chi. That's the next one. But the jing is your reserves. So... so when you run out of Jing, eventually, you use it little by little. But when you run out, that's the end of your life. You die. And so you want to control the way you use your Jing, meaning whenever you're living out of balance, you're doing what they call leaking Jing. So if you're stressing, if you're partying too much, if you're not sleeping enough, burning the candle at both ends, if you're not eating right, if you're taking a lot of drugs, whatever it may be, these are all Jing leaks. 
And probably one of the biggest for people these days is just stressing too much and working too hard and not resting enough. And so they are depleting their jing at an accelerated rate, thus decreasing their vitality, shortening their lifespan. So the next treasure that we get to is the active part of the flame. It's the, it's the actual flame itself. So this is what they call the chi. So it's your moment-to-moment active vitality, cognitive function, immune system function. And so this is what you're using constantly. It's the energy that you get from the food you eat and the air you breathe. But it's important to keep in mind that the flame is not the ultimate purpose of the candle. The ultimate purpose of the candle is not just to have a big flame, but to give off a lot of light. So that's where we get to the third treasure, which is called Shen. This is your ultimate purpose. It's the light you give off. It's the light in your eyes. It's your higher spiritual self, um, your ability to spread light all around you. So we want to get to having an amazing Shen, but you have to remember that a little birthday candle is not going to give off a whole lot of light. So you start by building the Jing, building that reserve energy. So you want to stop leaking your Jing. So this can, you know, whether it's not partying so much, not doing so, you know, excessive drugs or alcohol, or for guys, a way that Jing is depleted is also through excessive ejaculation that is leaking your vital essence. As I wish that it. wasn't true. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> God damn that. Is, I know. It's, that is, especially when you get over you gotta, 40. You got to earn yeah. the Jing. Yeah, man. Yeah. You got to, you got to, you, well, there's ways you can avoid it. Maybe that'll be it. Maybe when I do the John Gray interview, we'll talk about how men can stop themselves from ejaculating. Yeah, and still, so that's, and still I mean, have there's sex, amazing you know? Taoist and, and, there and Vedic techniques for that yeah. um, in terms of being able to still have the orgasm without the ejaculation. But isn't that weird? Like how, I mean, just even when I was younger, I noticed, you know, after you have sex and you're a guy, you just, what do you want to do? Like immediately just pass out. Pass out, do nothing. And the, you're, and you're the done, woman is dead. like, cool, let's go do stuff. And like, right. it's all hyped up. I'm like, wait, what is wrong here? Like, you know, they're like, I always felt like they're like stealing my energy like a freaking vampire. Exactly. You know? And women don't get depleted in that way. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, the ejaculation is the 100% line where orgasm happens at like 99%. So if you can learn the control and, and slow things down at the right time and kind of have the sensitivity to move the energy through your body and circulate it, you can have the full experience multiple times and then some and feel amazing afterwards and not deplete your jing. I'm working on but, getting uh, there. Kundalini yoga has helped a lot. I and, bet. And to be able to control the energy, but... Um, it will save it. For I don't want to go into yeah, gory yeah. details here. We'll, okay, we'll stick so, to the herbs. okay, so when men bust, that's one way that they can uh, leak their jing. Are right. there other ways that jing can be leaked, and and what can add to uh, the reserves? Right. So the jing leak is any kind of excessive living as a basic okay. way to cover it. To build it up, there are definitely uh, like yoga techniques and and tai chi and things like that that are designed to to build the jing. But also, there's a whole set of herbs for building the jing. So you have herbs like cordyceps, hoshu wu, um, cystanch, uh, something's coming from the animal world like deer placenta or deer antler. Uh, these are all great jing tonics. Ooh, to, would pine pollen count in that? Yeah. You know, it's not as commonly seen in the, in the kind of Chinese Taoist herbal pharmacopoeia. Right as other things, but it, the way, I would say yes, because of the way that it affects you hormonally, um, yeah. especially done as a tincture, because that has a lot more of the testosterone effect. When it's just a powder, 
it's kind of just like a super nutritious food, but the tincture for the testosterone benefit can be really powerful. Yeah, I've been doing this Sir Thrival powder for quite a long time, and I noticed like a lot of like a major increase in sex drive even from that. Mm. I didn't like do my you know testosterone labs before right. and after, but now I'm on the the extract, super potent extract, right. also from Sir Thrival. It's a hard name to say. We'll put it in the show notes so you can read it and practice pronouncing it. But that stuff's crazy, but I never thought of that in the Chinese medicine system, really. It doesn't, you know, like the ones that you mentioned are sort of more classic, but definitely like there's something going on with the testosterone with pine pollen. Absolutely. And so many male guests that I've interviewed are like, oh yeah, I got on that stuff and like I'm poking holes in my comforter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's so many plants that have the phytoestrogens in them. Very rarely do we see bioidentical testosterone in a plant, but you do have it in pine pollen. Yeah, Daniel Vitalis describes it as like the jizz of trees. Like pine trees are just like just jizzing all over the forest to make more pine trees. And when you eat that extract pine jizz, it makes you make more of it yourself. Interesting. Okay, so what else builds up our jing? Yeah, so herbs like these are an amazing way to do it. So it's basically, there's yogic techniques to do it, which are more complex than we'll get into right now. But uh, the herbs are an amazing way. And also, uh, they say that black foods are great jing builders. So whether you're looking at, at black beans or an, an Ayurvedic herb called shilajit is an amazing jing tonic. In Ayurveda, they call it an ojas tonic, which is essentially their equivalent of jing. And then you have like, uh, if you're going to have rice, well, do you want to have a white rice or maybe have a, a black rice, like a wild rice? You know, there's more potency and a lot of that comes from the, the zinc content, actually. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And what are some of the other Chinese herbs that you like to play with in terms of the shen and what was the other one? Qi. Yeah, shen and jing. qi. Jing is the wax and the wick. Qi is the flame. Shen is the light that it gives off. And what are some of the other herbs for the other two? Because so, I know these on are the, all ones you guys put in your chocolate. And I'm just like, oh, that herb sounds cool. I've heard of it. And they're mixed together in a certain way. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want the chocolate and I want the herbs and I just pound them. But I know they have a purpose. Like the drink I just had, whatever was in there, which you mentioned, like I'm feeling pretty energized mm-hmm. from that. You know? Yeah. So in the one you just had, there is... So cordyceps, which you mentioned is a jing herb. Some of the herbs work on more than one treasure. So cordyceps is also a chi herb. The way it works is it improves your oxygen utilization. So you're able to get more oxygen out of the air you breathe. And it also has a compound in it called cordycepin, which is very close to being ATP, which is your basically your cellular energy. And so it's improving your natural energy production. These aren't stimulants, right? It's not like having caffeine to, to stimulate your adrenals to put out a bit of adrenaline and get you going. Rather, they are improving your own methods of procuring energy from the environment around you. So cordyceps is a great one. Uh, astragalus is another one. Ginseng, very famous as a cheat tonic. Siberian ginseng as well. That's funny. I forget about ginseng. Like that was one when I was a kid, we would go to Chinatown and, you know, they had those little bottles of like, you know, there's like a ginseng root in right. a little bottle of some kind of syrup or alcohol. I don't know right. what it was. But then, I don't know, just over the years of getting into all this stuff, weirdly enough, ginseng's like the one that fell away when it might have been like ah, the first herb I ever took. Wow, it's, it's the most famous herb in the world, for yeah. sure. I mean, up there with like tea. Yeah, um, it's almost just like it fell away because I was like, oh, that can't be any good because it's everywhere. You right. Know? And when you go yeah, to well, most of it that's everywhere is no good. When you go to 7 Eleven and get the little jar with the ginseng root, yeah. it's like lame, right? It's lame. Well, with ginseng, it has to, in order to become a tonic herb, which means that it will balance your bodily functions, not just be a fiery stimulant, it 
has to stay in the ground at least six years. And so most ginseng that's out there, they're not going to leave it in the ground six years. They're going to quickly plant it, let it grow a little bit, and harvest it because that's how they make the most money. The people who really are committed to making quality ginseng are going to leave it in the ground much longer. What's a brand of ginseng that you could recommend if you, if you happen to have one off? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Dragon Herbs products. Right. Um, and, and I know they're really committed. They're, they're, they're crazy about their ginseng, especially. So yeah, I want to interview Ron Teagarden. Yeah, I was. I thought you would say that, but I didn't want to like put the words in your mouth. But yeah, they make a lot of um, different ginseng products, and right, they have he, a whole range. Like you can get it for like you know a two ounce bottle for nineteen dollars, or they'll have like their ultra elite wild harvested uh, ginseng for like three fifty a bottle. Yikes! And that only yeah. is like available, you know, a couple times a year. Right. Yeah, because I know he'll come back from China, and he'll have. I mean, you see a picture of him like holding this. This one's two hundred years old. Right. It looks like a man because <laughs> it makes you stronger. You know, there's like this whole deep world of Chinese herbs. So, what about the Shen? Then, so now Shen, Shen, to as I understand it, is more like it's almost like your aura or your spiritual self. It's yeah. the glow of the flame, right? It's, it's the light it? you're giving off. Okay, exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's the light in your eyes. And so, for Shen tonics, there's some really cool ones. My favorite is reishi mushroom. And reishi is actually what they call a three treasure herb. It's one of the rare herbs that works on all three treasures um, and also has great immune benefit. So reishi is amazing. It has these long chain sugars in it called polysaccharides or beta-glucan polysaccharides that can be up to three feet long, like wrapped up in a tiny little micro balls. And they come in and your white blood cells chop them up into littler pieces and they attach to your white blood cells and basically teach them how to do their job better. It's like an operating system upgrade for your immune system. And so it's like giving it more intelligence to work with. And then reishi, similar to cordyceps, also is getting more oxygen to your cells. So it works as a chi tonic. And then it's a shen tonic. Reishi has been the most sought after herb by Taoist monks and hermits and spiritual seekers for thousands of years. It's known as the herb of immortality and spiritual potency because it basically, when you have a good quality reishi, it gets you just like immediately out of your head into your heart, you know, in the same sense, you stop thinking and start feeling. It takes away the stress. So you're not leaking your jing anymore and really just brings out the best in you. Yeah. That's one of my favorite herbs for sure. Yeah. I take a, an extract from a company called longevity power. Mm. I think it's, it's a dual extraction, meaning it's got the fat soluble and water soluble nutrients, right? right? Yeah. And you guys listening, reishi mushroom, it's an herb, but it's a big giant mushroom. It looks like a flying saucer and it's kind of red and grows out the side of a tree. Right. Right. It looks like UFO. Yeah. And you can't just eat it. It's hard. It's got this really like dense cellulose. So it has to be, what do they call it? Decocted? Yeah. Yeah. Where Uh they get the nutrients out. But anyway, this, this extract, I think is like a 10 to one extract and it's like the longevity power and it's this dark, it looks like ground coffee it's even uh-huh. darker than but coffee. a really fine powder right? yeah it's almost black and it just dissolves in water and i use that in like you know bulletproof coffee or my little herbal elixir kind of bulletproof drinks and it's it's so bitter and i really like bitter flavor like right. i like really bitter coffee i think as your as your body state changes and your ph changes and things like that your palate changes as well it does kind of yeah because i've made other people that they're like oh I'll put some stevia in there it's too right. bitter i'm like what no the more bitter the better the bitter the better <laughs> yeah but i i love reishi yeah and that's another one too from like the old school um going to chinatown days that you see those cut up strips you know and you can just go buy it by the pound right, and, and it's and probably like the crappiest reishi but i used to boil it and make 
tea and it's like oh, it must have been nice. yeah when you boil them as a, a tea it's amazing when you can boil it like three hours and that cracks open those cell walls and the water gets in and then you freeze it overnight and the water will expand and really blast the cell wall open oh interesting and then you boil it again the next day oh. and then you got something really strong yeah because that gets like I mean that is a little intense for some reason the extract doesn't have the same intensity as just boiling the little cut-up strips. Yeah, like extracts are amazing for practicality and in so many ways. But to brew something yourself at home and get it that strong and concentrated, there's nothing quite like it. And where does chaga mushroom fit? Does it fit into the three treasure system or is it just its own animal? Well, it's been used a bit in Chinese herbalism. It's, it's more like a, a Russian, uh, Siberian thing, but it's, it's grows throughout the world, right? It's throughout Europe, throughout Canada, they have it. It grows on birch trees in the northern regions of the world. And most of these mushrooms that we get into, we're talking about tree mushrooms as opposed to ground mushrooms. These are kind of the elite class. And chaga is interesting because all these other ones like reishi will grow on dead trees. Chaga grows on live birch trees. So it doesn't actually take the tree down. It's almost like they have a synergistic relationship together. And oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that uh, reishi grows on dead trees. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah whether it's, you know, it's reishi, uh, tremella, these are growing on dead trees. And you know, turkey tail, coriolis, other things like that. A lot of companies grow them on grain mediums, which is not ideal. It's not the natural food. Yeah, especially when you pay mushroom. $80 for it and it's mostly like rice. Yeah. <laughs> There's very little actual mushroom right. material in there. Right. Yeah, the mushroom, like medicinal mushroom industry is very sketchy. You got to really like know your brain. There's all levels of quality out there yeah, for sure. It's like, I mean, I just know because I know like when you get the longevity power reishi and then you try some of the other ones out there. I don't want to throw one under the bus, but like someone, will, I'll be at their house. Hey, you want some reishi? I'm like, uh, Maybe. that's rice powder. <laughs> like there is no reishi in that, you know. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of. I interviewed a uh, Taro Isakapala from Four Sigmatic, awesome. and he, he kind of broke down how those scams work and stuff on one of our episodes a while ago. If you guys want to look that up, we went pretty deep into the mushroom thing and the scams therein of that industry. So those are the three treasures then, right? And um, God, there's like so much so to talk it's, about. It's a great way just to have that framework for thinking about your health. You, right. You want to not leak your jing. You want to build your jing and then refine that into having more chi and then ultimately more shen and just be like this glowing, amazing person walking around all the time. <laughs> I want to go back to, because your chocolates have a name like, you know, love. Another one I think is like tranquility or they mm -hmm. have, you know, a name that kind of tells you what you can expect as a result of that based on the ingredients. What's in the love one? You mentioned like, oh, we have one that will make you horny. What are the herbs in that one? Yeah, so we did different functions for our chocolates instead of different flavors. Um, that was really just because of my, my passion for the herbs and I wanted to kind of show off these amazing herbs and have the focus be on them rather than just, oh, here's a mint, here's a ginger, just like everybody else has always done. I wanted to do it a little bit differently. So the love chocolate, uh, which you mentioned, has herbs in there like sistanch, which is what they call a yang jing tonic. So it's kind of fiery. It's building that core sexual energy. It's actually increasing blood flow to where you want it to be at those times. Um, and then we have something in there like gelatinized maca. So maca has gotten pretty popular as an aphrodisiac uh, and sexual tonic over the past five, 10 years. But a lot of it out there is raw maca, which is great as well. It will come with tons of benefits. But the gelatinization process is actually where they heat it and they break down a lot of the starches. So it becomes easier to digest and actually more potent. So you don't have to take as much. 
and it's more effective and more of a tonic, something you can continually take and easier on your digestive system. Yeah, dude. I <laughs> If I eat raw maca, I mean, it's kind of like a cruel joke because mm. it gives you, it has these sex drive effects, but raw maca for me will make me like, fart my way like into the sky a like a hot air balloon <laughs> it's like <laughs> you don't want to eat something that makes you horny and fart that's <laughs> like just not the worst nightmare it's, yeah it's not happening and then you think about like what maca is i mean it's a root it's like eating a potato or something you know it's like would i take like a raw potato no that would destroy your gut so but i'm more sensitive i know people that can do raw maca but right. i've always liked the gelatinized maca yeah like in my early days to get into it i was doing a tablespoon of raw maca every day for like four years um and I, I was all right with it yeah um but exactly if you're gonna invest your money in doing something and you're gonna put something into your body every day you want it to be the best thing possible yeah and just because something works for you for a couple of years like what's going to happen 40 years from now. Right. You know, if you're in this for the longevity goals, you really got to look at the long-term game as well, not just how it makes you feel right I, now. I noticed that with people because my digestive system's always been a little rough, you know, and I have to really be gentle with it. I'm always trying to heal my gut with bone broth and colostrum and all this kind of stuff. But I've noticed specifically on that with food combining, I know people that can just eat whatever type of food and mix it all up. Like they can eat a steak and then have some fruit and some carbs and starches and like mix all those different types of macronutrients right. up. And me, I mean, I really have to, I think I learned this from Donna Gates. I really have to follow the food combining. Yep. And so in terms of like, I would never eat some starches or carbs and then eat fruit on top of it. I would literally like want to throw up after that. And it has to do with the speed with which your digestive system digests things. So if you eat fruit, you're going to digest it in 30 minutes. If you eat a steak, it's going to take three hours. So you can't eat a steak and then eat some rice or potatoes or something like that that is very sugary and starchy that digests faster. So right. It's like so many people in certain circles are into the, the green smoothies where you're doing, amongst other things, like kale, spinach, and bananas. And that's just a disaster because the banana is ready to burn up and move through there real fast. The fibrous vegetables are going to take a lot longer. And so that the banana just has to sit there waiting in line in traffic, getting angry. Yeah, and basically, they ferment. And ferments and you get yeah. the proliferation of bad bacteria. So this is this is the thing though, because I tell people like this and they're like, doesn't bother me at all. I can eat whatever, bro. I go have some pancakes and then eat like a fruit salad on top of it. And I'm like, God, don't you get sick? And they're nope. But I think it's one of those things where just it's not that one person's tougher than the other. It's just eventually it's going to catch it up with catch you, you. Yeah. because you're just you're defying the laws of physics. It's not like one person's digestive enzymes and um, well, and, people can have better digestive enzymes, but still, it'll get you eventually. Right, right. I mean, yeah, you could be low in like hydrochloric acid, like I historically have been. I've healed myself of it from taking mm. hydrochloric acid, but uh, I mean, I'm sure some people's systems are a bit tougher. But I think that if you're doing something that goes against just common sense, eventually you're going to have a problem from it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're getting close to wrapping up. There's one more thing that I wanted to cover with you, or maybe two things briefly. And thank you for like summing up the whole Chinese herbal system really fast. Oh, sure. I mean, that's I something could go on you know, for a long that time. <laughs> in itself, you could just talk for three hours about one of those herbs. So I think it's a good introduction for people. And I appreciate you being able to deliver that in a concise manner. 
But I know that you've been into the Wim Hof method, and this is something yeah. that people ask me about. I've done two different live trainings with his people on that, and I'm really into the ice baths. And unfortunately, I, I lack the discipline at the moment to do a lot of the breathing on my own. I also do Kundalini Yoga, as I mentioned, and there's a lot of very similar sort of breathing exercises in there. So I don't end up doing the practice myself, but what has your experience been like with the Wim Hof method? It's been amazing. So I started a year ago with goals of basically more energy and being able to spend more time in the cold. Because growing up as a surfer, it's not that cold in California, but it's still cold in the winter. Wetsuits have come a long way. But you know, when I was a kid, I would freeze my butt off in the wintertime surfing. And so I, cold was always the enemy. It was what to be afraid of and to run from. And I wanted to be able to, to flip that. And it has happened that way. Um, doing the breathing practices, doing the, the cold exposure, progressively building it up, being gentle, but also always moving forward. Uh, it has changed my relationship to the cold. Instead of looking at it as an enemy, it's now, for me, a source of energy. It brings life to me. It makes me feel alive. And the Wim Hof Method is amazing because it takes a lot of concepts that are also found in other practices like Kundalini Yoga and kind of packages them in a way that is really suited to the Western mind. You know, a lot of the more esoteric concepts with other practices are challenging for many Western minds to process. Um, and it's just, it's so easy, the Wim Hof Method. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's not forced, it's gentle yet powerful. And the way that it just transforms your whole nervous system is really powerful. Yeah, it gets you high as shit is what it does. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, like <laughs> once, you know, for me, it was like in week six that there was like during a, a certain portion of it where you're doing some of the breath holds, there's like, definitely a DMT release you happening. Trip no question. I, the thing with the Wim Hof method for me is that, like I said, it, it's like working out or something and it's just the way I am. Like I could do Kundalini yoga sitting here every morning. I know enough stuff to put myself through my own little class, right. but I just won't do it. But if I go there, unpack all my shit sit in front of the teacher, I'll do it. And um, same with the gym. Like my brother owns a gym like a mile from here. I can go there whenever I want, work out. I have the timers, I have the protocols, the drills, like I can do it and I really won't do it. But if they have a class and I can get my ass over there, Nothing I'll like do a little it. social pressure. Totally, man. And the Wim Hof thing's the same. Like, God, I, they're going to start doing more training at Story Fitness here soon. Uh, oh, cool. A friend of ours just went and took his new 2.0 training out in Colorado. So hopefully they'll be hosting some of those and I'll go do it. But it's like when there's a group leader or someone like leading the Wim Hof breathing and I'm there, like I kick ass and I do it and I love it. But it's difficult for me to kind of remember and have the discipline to do on my own because it takes some exertion. I mean, it's kind of a workout to do the breathing, I find. Absolutely. But you've managed to build the discipline in just on your I own. I managed to really stick with it. I tend to be pretty good at just, I, genetically, I have high frontal lobe function. Um, I have a gene called COMT. I have a double positive on that one, which means that I don't detoxify certain neurotransmitters well, like dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine. So it's a double-edged sword. It can be really good. It can be really bad. Upside, if you don't like push yourself too hard, it'll just give you really high frontal lobe function. So a good filter on what you say and what you don't, good ability to focus and just like mind over matter, just like power through things. If you work it too hard and kind of take advantage of those aspects of it, you can end up being really mentally ill and like paranoid or like bipolar and things like that. How did you uh, find out about your propensities? 
one uh, way or another. Through, did you take Twenty Three and Me or something? Oh, like I did that? a different one. It was kind of before Twenty Three and Me got really popular. Okay, but it, it, this is something you can test for with Twenty Three and Me. Oh, cool. Um, so, like a what do you call it? Genome testing? A, what do you call exactly? This type a DNA of test. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or, or a genome test. Yeah. And so did the one you did, did it give you like your ancestry? Like, oh, your people are Vikings. No, from I didn't. The or? one I did didn't. But I, I've been. I'm been meaning to do the 23 and me just to get a few so other 23 and me there. i've never done any of that that's the stuff. way to do it now i think yeah oh, okay okay yeah because it, it, it'd be interesting because you know your grandma tells you where your people are from i'm like a totally like diluted european mutt like my right. grandparents had like four nationalities you know what i mean oh, all like, stuff, yeah. yeah so i'm like Great. i wonder where my people are actually really from because that i think has some influence on maybe what you want to eat how much sun exposure just your sort of like general attitude toward life and things yeah, like that. It's deeply ingrained. Yeah. So so anyway. Yeah. So it's really cool to know your genetics as well and, and be able to customize your life. Because a lot of things that I found in my genetic tests, I kind of had figured out about myself along the way anyways. Like I know if I work too hard, I can burn out. I need to, you know, take 10 minutes and just like go lie down and stretch a little bit. But to have it confirmed in your genetic testing and understand how to modulate your supplementation like for me tons of magnesium is super important like and uh, so i'll take magnesium glycinate in the morning and then at night i'll take the magnesium l3 and 8 which you know really gets into the brain and helps you relax oh what uh what brand are you taking of the nighttime one i haven't found a solution that i'm 100 percent happy with i'm using the the life extension powder okay because i like doing it in the powder because you kind of start to absorb it and what's the one that goes the the night one that crosses the blood brain barrier that's that one that's the magnesium l3 and 8 l3 and 8 okay because i found a brand natural stacks the company that makes siltep which i love i've tried siltep off and on and i'm like "Eh, i don't know but i'm doing an isolated test right now where i'm not taking any other nootropics just Mm. that the recommended like three capsules and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm crushing it. Like I get on wow. my computer and I'm super focused and it's awesome. They make something called MagTech, which has that. It has that one in it. Yeah. Has that it has one like and then it has milligrams. two other ones. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm out of it right now, but that's what I've been taking because I interviewed um, this guy Ryan on my show a few episodes ago. It's called um, Becoming a Civilized Beast. If you want to look it up, listener. And uh, he's from Natural Stacks, and mm-hmm. he was telling me about this. He's like, yeah, dude, that's scientifically everyone knows that's the only magnesium that actually gets into your brain. Right. Your body needs it too. Yeah. But if you're trying to get a brain result, like for sleep, that's the best one. And you can imagine that because of that, it's also probably penetrating deeper into tissues elsewhere in your body. If it is so good that it can cross the blood-brain barrier, it can probably travel elsewhere better as well. Right. That, I, I don't have a study to back that up, but it just seems It makes logical. common sense, yeah, yeah. So you're doing the life extension powder version of that. Right, and, and so, so that has, it's not a perfect product, I wouldn't say. Does it um, have like excipients in it and weird it, stuff? Yeah, no excipients, but it'll have... Um, like like some flavors in there and things like that. Oh, okay. They they try to make it taste like a lemon oh. kind of thing. <laughs> that but sucks. I just like to- I, I it sucks when you try to like get a bulk like powdered supplement and they do that. Like I bought some um, BCAAs, like some amino acids recently because right. I'm like on a gym kick and I want to like try to get in shape for once in my life. Mm-hmm. And I brought it home and I was like, I was like, man, this thing tastes like berries. I'm like, what's in this shit? And it was like loaded with sucralose, oh, like artificial no. sweetener. I was like, trash. Yes, this doesn't have anything like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, but even it's like those na- natural, natural flavors, flavors unless like, it's yeah. unless it's organic flavor, is like that's I, it, it's definitely can be yeah. still suspect. Since I read Fast Food Nation years ago, I was like, oh, natural flavors aren't natural. Like you can call anything natural according to the FDA. Right. You know, it's like a total scam like marketing world. You can make something in a laboratory that's essentially 
a perfume yeah. and call it a natural, I'm doing air quotes here, guys, a natural flavoring. And so, even like so in body sneaky. products, it's similar when they put like fragrance at the end. That can be anything. Right, yeah. So you find that because of your genetic type and your right. DNA test that the Wim Hof breathing jives It's with It's you. easy for me to stick with it. I can, okay. It's relatively simple. It's straightforward. It's almost mathematical in the way it's structured. It is, yeah. And, and so my brain can really just latch onto that and it works. You know what made it easier for me is getting the app. There's oh, an yeah. app that has the timing and stuff like that. Right. So it's like once you learn it and you can use the app, it's actually pretty easy to do. Yeah. It's almost like your coach. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last thing I want to cover is because you talked about how getting cold adapted is helping your surfing. How does surfing play into your life in terms of the ultimate lifestyle that you've built for yourself? It's such a central part, you know, in so many ways. First of all, it's time in nature. And I think the more time we can spend in nature connected to the place where we basically evolved to live in, right? We didn't evolve to live in cities and amongst concrete. And so just naturally, it seems true to me that the more time you spend in a natural environment, the more you're going to thrive. It's going to affect all kinds of different DNA markers. It's going to bring down your stress. And then surfing is also, it's amazing exercise. And it really forces you to be in a flow state when you're on a wave. It just gets you right in there. And it also has given me a unique metaphorical way of looking at life in terms of riding a wave compared to living. It's like when you are trying to catch a wave, sometimes it can be hard. You get knocked around by a wave here, you get knocked around there, you're out of position. Sometimes you're trying to get things going in life. You're not quite in the right position and you don't have your timing right. You're going to get you know, knocked around, get pummeled by a few waves. Then you find yourself like in the right point and your timing is just right and you got to move at the right speed. Don't be too aggressive and out paddle the wave. Don't be too like scared and not paddle enough. And then you have the takeoff on the wave and that's where you really have to go for it. You know, it's like whether you're uh, starting a new project or a new business, there's always that moment where it's, okay, I've done everything right up until now. Now it's the leap of faith and we're not turning back from here. And then you're riding the wave and this is where it gets really interesting because there's a certain number of maneuvers you can do within the constraints of the wave. Like when you're you know, going through life, there's a, in terms of like manifesting your reality and things like that, there's a certain amount of things you are able to, to control and, and live in balance with. But if you push it too far or if you try to do something too extreme, you're going to fall off the wave and it's done. You got to kind of start over. And so you're within those constraints. And then like the ultimate of riding a wave is getting in the tube or in the barrel. And that's something where you're not going to get in there forever. And that to me in life is like when you're in the like holy flow and you're like just in magical moments in life, you're going to get in there and it's just like heaven and everything is perfect and time stops and it's just unbelievable but eventually you're going to come out. But those moments like stick in your mind and you always remember them and that kind of draws you back to them. So that for me, surfing like connects to my life and in that sort of fashion. That's awesome. You know, that's a, wow, it's a really a much more profound answer than I was expecting. I thought you were going to be like, it's just cool. I like swimming around and like getting some sun and it's just chill and my homies the are vitamin D is great. Yeah, but that's that's cool, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm always curious for people that are avid surfers because i haven't given surfing its due you know mm. to be honest but i did try it once down in um near san diego san Onofre, i yeah. think which is a popular surf spot if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken yeah, and yeah, i right. went with a very experienced friend of mine he gave me the lesson and you know i was like he's oh this is the perfect day for it the waves are just right for a beginner i had a long board and everything was cool 
And we were out there for a few hours, and I don't think I ever got up on a wave, which everyone says, oh, dude, you didn't get up? Of course you didn't like it. But I hated it. Oh, amazing. And I love the ocean. I mean, I'm like a water dog. I love water. Hot springs, rivers, lakes, ocean, bathtubs, ice baths, showers. Like, if I'm around water, I'm good. So I liked floating around out there. But I just got my ass beat so hard. Like, every time I paddled out, just waves in my face and just water up my nose and in my ears and I was just like just getting hammered and then you get out there yeah I wouldn't get up on the wave but I would somehow like end up on the shore again eat kind of you know and then I'm like wait now I have to paddle all the way back start all over again I was like are you fucking kidding me this sucks who likes this are you guys like you know masochists or what and at the end of the day, I, I had this sort of epiphany. I was like, because I used to snow ski a lot. I lived in Aspen when mm-hmm. I was a teenager. And uh, so I skied every day after school and stuff and uh, for a few years. And I had this vision or this uh, interpretation of it that was like, oh, this is just like skiing, but if there was no chairlift. And like after you right. did a run, you had to take your shit. There's people throwing snowballs like, at you on the trail. And like, and like <laughs> climb up to the top of the hill, then which takes you two hours. And then like you ski down and the run is five minutes. You know, I was like, yeah. it was so much work for so little payoff. But I haven't surfed in like nice warm water, you know, in Hawaii with like cool waves. Makes it and, a lot easier. <laughs> you know, and with like a real surf teacher and the proper like setup for it. So I have to catch myself when I'm like, surfing sucks. I don't like it. I really need to try it more. And, yeah. and I get inspired every time I talk to someone who's like, has this whole profound life view based on the practice of surfing. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for uh, I think that's all we got time for. So I want to ask you my closing question, which is a three-part question. So you've taught me and our audience a bunch of stuff today about a bunch of different things. Thank you. Who have been three teachers in your life, and that could come in the form of a person, a book, a philosophy, anything? Yeah, so to connect with what we were just talking about, the Wim Hof Method has been really amazing for me. I've enjoyed it on so many levels. It's been just a whole transformational experience in terms of tapping into one's nervous system, embracing the cold, embracing the elements, feeling, you know, almost unbeatable out of nature, not in a way that you're overconfident, but in a way that you can really be one out in cold nature and loving it rather than I got to get out of here and get into a warm house. So that's been really powerful. Uh, Another great teacher would be Joseph Campbell, um, who's of course passed a number of years ago, but his outlook on mythology and interpreting it as metaphorical and analyzing the universal aspects of mythology throughout the world has been totally fascinating to me and has really sculpted the way I look at lots of things and understand different people and different cultures. And even if you don't have time to get into his books, which are like really dense and and can take some time and take a lot of attention and really can make you fall asleep sometimes. uh, He's got a few YouTube interview series, um, from like the last few years of his life where he really throws down like his greatest nuggets of wisdom. So I would just say, you know, don't worry about the book so much, just get into those. And it's just like every two minutes, he's like blowing your mind with stuff that just makes so much logical sense. And cool. you know, we'll, link, about this. we'll link to a couple of those videos in the show notes. And if you yeah. guys want the show notes, you got to go to lukestory.com and sign up for my newsletter, yo. And then I'm going to send you the show notes for this episode and every episode to come. It's a, 
added bonus. So I love when you guys mention things. Like I've never watched any of his videos. I think I watched mm. some PBS special. Right. He did like, I don't know, it's probably from the seventies or something that like all about um symbolism and things like that. And it was fascinating. But he's one person I never really dug into. So mm. I'm gonna look at the goddamn show notes. Sweet. I'm gonna go watch the YouTube videos. <laughs> Thank you. And then what about a third? So last one would be I really enjoy a channel on YouTube called the School of Life. They take a really neat modern approach to philosophy and analyze in brief, you know, three to ten minute form some really interesting philosophical questions as they apply to our modern lives. And it gives you a really nice kind of pulled back view with the way we assess and look at things in this world. Because we're living in very unnatural times and development of things has happened so fast, it's almost hard for our minds to process the modern world and like how should this all really work and how should I think about this and that. So it just is a nice one to get you thinking a little more deeply about things that you may not have really put some conscious thought into. Awesome. For a second, I thought you were going to be like, I really am into the school of style. It's like, hey, thank you. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> That's <Sage."> number four. <laughs> you know, I really want to be a stylist. I'm like, wow, well, you got the socks. We On video, you guys see we both have our striped socks. I mean, come on. Podcaster uh, listeners there, you can't see, but we're pretty, pretty happening on our sock game today. Okay. And then lastly, where can we find any website, social media? What do you want to promote? Yeah. So we are Addictive Wellness is my company. And you can check it out at addictivewellness.com or Addictive Wellness on Facebook or Instagram. Awesome. Thanks so much. And I'm not yeah. shitting you guys. His stuff is delicious. And, it's... and we have a discount code for your listeners Oh, you as do? Well. Sick. Yeah. yeah. So, what is it? So uh, anyone who comes to our site and puts in the discount code Lifestylist will get 10% off any orders. What a nice surprise. So, Thank you. you I got to start asking my guests to do that when they like make some guests make something. Sometimes they don't. Usually it's like a book or something. So Thank you for that. So Lifestylist saves you 10% at AddictiveWellness.com. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not shitting you guys. His stuff is really, really high quality and it's good. And 10% is going to help you because it's not cheap. <laughs> it's like it's the real deal. This it's is, high quality stuff. This is not a Snickers from you know the gas station. This is like the real the real deal. So thanks so much, dude. It's great to see you. Thanks for thanks, joining Luke. us really today appreciate on the Lifestylist, and we will talk soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, that was a super fun and informative convo, was it not? I bet right about now you could go for some chocolate. I know that I can. I'm like overdosing on chocolate as a result of this damn interview. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Hey, do me a favor, would you? Just one little favor. Would you share this episode with a friend, anyone that's into health, wellness, spirituality, all the stuff that we talk about on this show? It's one of the best and easiest ways that you can support me and the work that I'm doing along with my fabulous guest. Click forward, screen grab, send the link, do something, share this with a couple homies or someone in your family that you think would benefit from this material. Thank you so much. And please don't forget that if you've got some questions or suggestions for me, you can send them directly to me at info at lukestory.com. And if you want to take it one step further and you're interested in doing some coaching with yours truly remotely via Skype, you can set that up at lukestory.com forward slash coaching. I'm going to do you a huge solid right now. I'm going to remind you to subscribe to this show so you're sure to catch next week's episode number 43 with Scott Lindy from Sun Potion, where we talk about becoming an entrepreneur in the health and wellness industry, as well as take a deep dive into all things herbalism. So hit subscribe so you don't miss next week's show or any other great shows to follow.
I want to remind you to get over to humancharger.com forward slash Luke to check out this amazing piece of biohacking technology. Use the code STORY20 to save 20% off your order at humancharger.com forward slash Luke. I'd like to remind you to get your 15% discount hookup over at foursigmatic.com. This is where you're going to find the world's most convenient, potent, and delicious medicinal mushroom and herbal blends. These are great standalone drinks or add-ons that you can put into your coffee. They're really great to drink at night because they don't have caffeine. You can also use them before workouts, in moments of concentration. They're just amazing little packets of magical power. So enjoy that 15% discount by entering the lifestylist at foursigmatic.com. Again, the discount code is the lifestylist at foursigmatic.com. 